Chapter Twenty Seven of the Countess of Charny by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The parallel to Charles the First. This worthy priest of English origin had escaped the September massacres and was hiding out at Choisy, under the name of Essex, as the Princess Elizabeth knew and where to find him. He came to the call, though he believed that he would be killed within an hour of the dreadful scene. He was not to quit the prisoner till he quitted the world. The king was allowed to take farewell of his family in the dining-room, where the glass door allowed the guards still to keep him in sight. They knew the trial had taken place, but not the particulars with which he supplied them. He dwelt particularly on the fact that Petion had not pressed for the death penalty, and that Gilbert had voted to spare his life. Heaven owed the poor prisoner some comfort, and it came in the love of the queen. As has been seen in our story, the queen easily let the picturesque side of life attract her. She had that vivid imagination which makes women imprudent even more than disposed. She had been imprudent all her life in her friendship and in her loving. Her captivity saved her in a moral point of view. She returned to the pure and holy domestic virtues from which youthful passions had led her. And as she could do nothing without extravagance, she fell to loving passionately, in his distress, this royal consort whose vulgar traits were all she could see in the days of felicity. In their first disasters she saw a dullard, almost cowardly, without impulse or resolution. At the temple she began to see that the wife had not only misjudged the husband, but the queen the monarch. She beheld one calm and patient, meek but firm under outrages. All the worldly dryness in her was melted and turned to the profit of better sentiments. The same as she had scorned too deeply, she loved too fondly. "'Alas!' the king said to his confessor. To think that I love so dearly, and am loved so much. In their last interviews, the queen seemed to yield to a feeling akin to remorse. When she found that she could not be alone with her lord, she drew him into a window recess where she would have fallen on her knees at his feet. But he understood that she wanted to ask his forgiveness. So he stayed with her and drew his will from his pocket to show her the lines. I pray my wife to forgive all the woes I have led her to suffer, and the sorrows caused her in the course of our union. As she may be sure that I cherish no ill-feeling toward her, if she should think that she had reason to blame herself in any way. Marie kissed his hands, for while there was a full pardon, there was great delicacy, too, in the rest of the phrase. So this royal Magdalene, might die tranquil. Late as came her love for her husband, it won her divine and human mercy, and her pardon was bestowed on earth not in a mysterious whimper as an indulgence, of which the king felt ashamed, but openly and publicly. Who would reproach her who went toward posterity with the double crown of the martyr and her husband's forgiveness? The poignant farewell lasted nearly two hours before the condemned went out to his priest. As day began to break, the drums were beaten throughout the town. 
the bustle and the sound penetrated the old tower and chilled the blood of the priest and clary at nine o'clock the noise increased and the doors were loudly flung open santerre came in followed by town officers and soldiers who formed a double row the king received the priest's blessing and a prayer for support and called for his hat as all the others had kept their hats on seeing that clary had his overcoat ready for fear he would be cold and the shiver would be taken for that of fright he said no nothing but my hat he took advantage of the act to shake his hand for the last time let us go gentlemen he said with the tone of command so rarely used by him in crossing the first yard he turned two or three times to wave a farewell to his dear ones with the priest he stepped into a hack and the procession started leaving the queen no hope save for a rescue on the road that of a respite had already vanished she fell into a chair sobbing to think of his going without saying good-bye the streets were foggy and deserted as all citizens were forbidden to be about unless belonging to the armed militia and there were no faces up at the windows all the prisoners saw was a forest of pikes and bayonets with a large drum corps before the party and cavalry around the clamor prevented the king talking with the confessor who read his prayer-book at st denis gate the king lifted his head for the uproar was marked by a change in the shouts a dozen young men sword in hand rushed through the retinue and shouted rescue this way those who would save the king one baron de batz an adventurer had engaged three thousand bravos to make this attempt but only a handful responded when he sounded the signal cry the forlorn hope of royalty meeting no reply retreated and slipped away in the confusion the incident was of such slight importance that the carriage did not stop it was at its journey's end when it did one of the three brothers sanson the paris executioners came to open the door laying his hand on the abbe's knee the king said in a tone of a master gentlemen i recommend this gentleman to you take care of him after my death for he has done nobody harm he threw off his coat not to be touched by the headsman one had a rope to bind his hands but he said he would not submit to it a hand-to-hand -hand fight would rob the victim of all the merit of six months calmness courage and resignation so the confessor advised him to yield particularly as one of the sansons moved with pity offered to substitute a handkerchief he held out his hands resignedly saying do as you like i shall drain the chalice to the dregs the scaffold steps were high and slippery and he had the priest's arm for support but on the top step he escaped so to say from the spiritual guide and went to the further end of the platform he was flushed in the face and had never appeared more hale or animated the drums began to beat but he imposed silence by a look as with a lusty voice he said i die innocent of all the crimes imputed to me i forgive the authors of my death and i pray god that this blood shall not fall on france 
strike up drums roared a voice long believed to be santerre's but was that of beaufranchet count oillat illegitimate son of louis the fifteenth and a courtesan the prisoner's natural uncle the drums beat and the king stamped his foot in vain do your duty yelled the pikemen to the executioners who threw themselves on the king he returned with slow steps under the knife of which he had designed the proper shape only a year ago he glanced at the priest who was praying at a corner of the scaffold behind the two upright beams a scuffle went on the tilting flap fell into place and the prisoner's head appeared in the ominous gap a flash a dull chopping sound was heard and a large jet of blood spouted forth then one of the death's men taking up the head sprinkled the bystanders with the dripping fluid at this sight the pikemen whooped and rushed to dye their weapons in the blood which they ran to show the town with shouts of long live the republic for the first time this cry found no echo though it had oft thrilled hearers with joy the republic had a stain on the brow which nothing ever could efface as a great diplomatist said it had committed worse than a crime a blunder thus died on the twenty first of january seventeen ninety three king louis the sixteenth he was aged thirty-nine years he had reigned eighteen and was over five months a prisoner his last wish was not accomplished for his blood not only fell on france but over the whole of europe End of chapter 27 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia